For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio and I uh, dip into the offseason. We're actually even more excited about the offseason podcast than the regular season podcast. We're going to have some great guests coming up. Uh, we already have people lined up. But we're still very close to Super Bowl 54, which many dubbed the Joe Montana Bowl because of the 49ers <laughs> and Chiefs, the two teams he quarterbacked. And who better to talk about Joe Montana than Joe Valerio, someone who blocked for him, caught passes for him. I'm really I'm I'm pumped to talk some Joe Montana. So have some good stories, Joe. Well, Jeff, you know it's amazing. First of all, you know how much fun did we have taking this team through that ride, right? I mean, just going through the journey with them and and doing this podcast has been fantastic. And your insights and 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 what we were able to observe and that great playoff run. I I think it's still a high that everybody in Kansas City and all the Chiefs kingdom is really living on right now. And and it's 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 fantastic. And you're right. Joe, the Joe Montana thing, what a crazy story when you think about it. I remember that first tweet that came out during the week, you know, and he had his two framed two jerseys, jerseys and yeah. uniforms, and he said, you know, I, you know, basically I'm paraphrasing, you know, I, I know which team's going to win, you know, team that I played for, right? You know, he kind of made fun, made a joke out of it, which was fantastic, right? And that was so cool of him to do that and, and how close he was to both of these organizations and how much they meant to him. You know, he actually, I saw him during Super Bowl week. He was on Radio Row. He had that very memorable Tide commercial, actually the last time the Niners were in the, the Super Bowl, uh, where somebody got a stain on a shirt that, was, that resembled Joe Montana. So he was there for Tide again. And I, I saw him and I'm like, you know, who, who are you rooting for in this Joe Montana ball? And he said, the team that wears red. And he kind of had, he had that kind of grin, that charming grin that he always had. Um, and then I, I, you know, I said, hey, I, I do this podcast with uh, Joe Valero, and he, he had another grin. He was very pumped to hear about that. So my question for you, Joe, um, you were already with the team when they made that huge trade the Chiefs did uh, to bring in Joe Montana. Tell me how you found out about it and what your reaction was. You know, that was obviously pre-internet days. Yeah, it was well, right, because there wasn't the the instantaneous. You know, right. you're you're sitting there. I was in the weight room. Uh, huh. We were we were in off season workouts. You know, my wife Jen taught school in Kansas City, and so we stayed in the off seasons. We 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 didn't really get home for much um, because of because of her work, and and she was teaching elementary school um, in Kansas at the time. So you know, I was always there. I was always around the facility. It was you know that's where I would go for my workouts, and you know any remaining treatments or things that you needed, you know, for dings from the rest of the season. So I was, you know, we were there and, and, and was in the weight room and, and Dave Redding and Russ Ball were our strength coach and, and assistant strength coach respectively there. And uh, I remember them coming in and saying, guys, we just traded for Joe Montana. And, and it just kind of like came down the line. Cause you know, our, the facility that, that we used to work out in 
are still the Chiefs still do is actually separate from the stadium and the executive offices. So mm-hmm. it's it's about a I mean I'm terrible at distances. It's probably a good mile right from the door of the executive offices over to the weight room and, and the indoor facility that we, we used to joke to uh, Mr. Hunt. We'd say, Mr. Hunt, you know, we never use that facility when it's like cold outside, you know, like it's 10 degrees and Coach Schottenheimer's got us out there in December and January practicing. And we'd be like, are you growing azaleas in there? Or like, how come we never use that thing? And he laughed. But, uh, but so it was a little bit distant. So, you know, it was kind of like whisper down the lane, right? All of a sudden, somebody must have called somebody and Russ Ball and, and Dave Redding picked up the phone and, you know, they're like, Joe, Mon-. we're like, of course we're like, yeah, whatever. Right. It's, it's deep in the off season. We just finished our season and, you know, we're kind of thinking about, you know, we were thinking about 1993 and coming off of, uh, you know, a playoff um, loss to the chargers, right. In 92. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of surreal to hear the fact that, you know, Joe Montana was going to be joining the Chiefs. I mean, obviously, a boyhood idol of mine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not that he's that much older, but, you know, when I was going through my formative years, uh, you know, in the eighties, I mean, he was, you know, going through all this success. So it was, it was almost surreal to think that I was going to share a field and, you know, share a locker room and, and, and sort of be on the same team with, you know, with at, at that time, you know, I know there's a lot of dispute out there now about, you know, Tom Brady and how they go back and forth and who's the goat and everything. But, you know, there's no, it is indisputable that at that moment, no matter what, who you ask, Joe Montana was the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL at that point. I mean, so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty surreal, Jeff. And, you know, when he got there, you know, he was as friendly as we all thought he would be. Um, He was, I think I, you know, I told the story on one of the pods about, his leadership lessons that he taught me about the first one in the weight room and the last guy to leave every night. And the fact that he was always super ultra prepared, you know, funny story. And, and to tell you what kind of guy he was and, and sort of as genuine of a person as he was. So my dad was a professional boxer and my dad fought middleweight in Philadelphia and South Philadelphia. And he trained with who was actually the middleweight world champion at the time. His name was Joe Giardello. Real boxing fans might, might remember that name. And, um, you know, it's kind of, a, you know, we're going back to late 40s, early 50s now. And and so my dad, you know, had a really nice career. My dad actually had um, a chance to um, train with Rocky Marciano when he came to Philadelphia to fight Jersey wow. Joe Walcott for the heavyweight championship of wow. the world because Rocky Marciano trained at Olympia Gym. So my dad was a South Philly jokester. He loved to tell a story. He was an amazing storyteller and he looked exactly like Robert De Niro. So, um, so we're in the locker room one day and, um, I, you know, Joe was there and he was walking by and I just wanted to introduce him to my dad. And cause he was literally one of my dad's heroes, you know, and here my dad was, you know, X amount of years older than Joe Montana. So, so he said, Hey Joe, I just wanted to meet my dad's, my dad, Mike. And, and, and well, we call my dad Mickey, but I said, this is my dad, Mike. And, uh, he said, Oh, Mr. Val-. First of all, he calls my dad, Mr. Valeria, right? Ultimate sign of respect you know, good Italian kid, right? And <laughs> he says, oh, Mr. Valerio, it's really nice to meet you. And my dad, of course, he can't help himself because he, he loves to pull people in. And he says, oh, Joe, it's really nice to meet you. But I got to tell you, you're my all-time favorite football player, no, not because you're Italian, because, you know, you're, you're, you're the greatest of all time. He said, but it's not my greatest sports memory, meeting you. And now he's like reeling Joe Montana in like a, like he's just baiting him. Right. So, so Joe, of course, is the genuine, just awesome person that he was. You saw Mr. Blair, you gotta, 
you got to tell me what, what could be better than meeting me. Right. So he's, they're going back and forth and they're really being, been having fun with it. My dad goes into like Italian South Philly storytelling mode. And he's like, uh, Joe, you know, it's the 1950s and I'm training at Olympia gym in South Philadelphia. And Rocky Marciano is coming into town to fight Jersey Joe Walcott. And he goes, who do they ask to be a sparring partner with Rocky Marciano? They ask me. And I get the honor of, you know, sparring with Rocky Marciano during his, his world championship fight against uh, Jersey Joe Walcott. And Joe Montana, comedic timing right away, genuinely nice, says, you know what, Mr. Valera, I got to tell you, getting a chance to spar with Rocky Marciano sure beats meeting a schlub like me. <laughs> and he just, he made my dad feel so good that he, my dad got to tell a story to really one of my dad's sports heroes. And that was Joe Montana, even though my dad, like I said, was X years older than, than Joe Montana, but he, he made my dad feel so good. Um, he, he was so genuine and he was so engaged in the story. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, this is a guy that like, who, who wouldn't want to be led by this guy? Right. Who want to it's be part so of? cool that a guy like that with all his four Super Bowl rings, um, my, maybe the best quarterback of all time, that he can have, be like have that kind of self-deprecating yeah. sense of humor. Um, yeah. yeah, he was always doing, you know, Joe was, Joe was, you know, one of the other things that I think when you think about the, the, the level, right, we look, you know, Marty gets to the Chiefs. And, and Carl Peterson comes to town and, and they start turning the program around, right? And, and they're 1990, they go to the playoffs. And uh, I was, that was my senior year in college. And then 91, you know, I get there and we go to the playoffs. And it's just like playoff after playoff run, right? And, and you know, we were, we were really starting to build something. But in, with all due respect to those early years, the, the early Marty years, we were still a team that was – not really well known outside of the Midwest, you know, outside of the AFC West, you know, at that time it was NFC dominance, right? It was like East coast NFC dominance. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had the giants, you had the bills um, in the AFC and the giants in the NFC. And it just, everybody knows the Cowboys. Like it, we just weren't, I think we weren't the team at the top of everybody's list. So when we would go to training camp in river falls, Wisconsin, we would probably, and we started going there in my rookie year in 1991. So I didn't know any different, right? Because I know the team used to go to Liberty, Missouri um, for, for camp. But I think they used to go to William Jewell College, I believe. And so we go up to River Falls, Wisconsin. We're probably, you know, X miles away from home, terrible geography. And, and you know, we're, we're up in, in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin at, at a Division three school. And, you know, maybe at a practice, maybe even a really good scrimmage, we'd have like 500 people in the stands. It was a, it was a tough trek for Kansas City fans to get up there, you know, to see us. And, and, we would, and the, the city did a great job. I mean, River Falls did a great job. We had a big parade when we would get there. But still, like I said, it was a small town of, you know, six, 7,000 people. So, you know, I mean, it, there were so few people in the stands, you could almost hear them talking, right? And then 1993, Joe Montana, gets to town and you know and of course Marcus Allen comes as well and we we used to dress and do our meetings in the hockey facility which was around the bend from the football stadium which was a typical division three you know midwestern division three school you know maybe it was a 5,000 seat stadium you know almost looked like an like just like a bigger high school stadium really is what it looked like so we're walking around the bend on the first day of of field practice when we're at training camp in 1993 
and we're walking behind Alex Gibbs, right? And he's walking in front of us, the offensive line. We're coming out of our meeting room in the hockey facility and we're walking and we turn the bend and you could hear a crowd. Like you could hear the din of the crowd. It was like, <laughs> and we're thinking, okay, what is going on? So we turn the corner and there are 5,000 people standing room only wrapped around this whole field. Jeff, we were in helmets and shorts. We weren't even hitting. We weren't even in pads. And so Alex Gibbs is awesome. And he had the fantastic North Carolina accent, right? And he's, he's a legendary offensive line coach. Legendary. Like he, he went on, he was, uh, when the Broncos won their Super Bowls under Shanahan, he was kind of the uh, offensive line guru. But go ahead, Joe. Yeah, no, but we, Jeff, we could do a show about Alex Gibbs. We really could. He, he <laughs> right. was fantastic. Like he, he taught me so much about the game of football. It was unbelievable. So we're, we're coming out around the corner and he looks and he stops us and he's like, whoa, 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 boys. I'll do my, I'll do my best, you know, North Carolina accent. He's like, whoa, whoa, boys, boys. He goes, take a look at that crowd. And we're all <laughs> looking there and we're kind of like, wow, this is crazy. He goes, I just want to let you guys all know one thing. They ain't here to see you. <laughs> and, and it was like it just hit us all at that moment like wow and then he stops us and, and, and we're like we're our jaws are dropped we're looking at this he goes let me tell you something boys your job got a whole lot more important this year all right let's have a good practice now and we were just like, <laughs> hitting our nails thinking oh my god don't be the guy don't be the guy let the sack up and get joe right. don't be the center that you know jams his finger i mean i remember when 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 when, when i had to do my first nasa because i was the backup center right so i was backing up timmy grunhard and, and, and they, you know, we'd, we'd always rotate through because, you know, you want to make sure your centers and quarterbacks, one, twos, threes, you know, whoever's on the depth chart are getting reps with each other, right? Because you never know, right, when you're going to go in a game. And so I would go in there, and I'm telling you, Jeff, for the first, like, probably – a hundred snaps that I took with Joe Montana, I put that ball up between my, my legs so gently and like almost <laughs> handed it to him. I was so afraid I was going to like break his fingers. Like you want to jam his fingers. Yeah. You know, being the, like, you know, the second, third year player that, you know, is like the guy that breaks Joe Montana's hand. And that, you know, after they do this big trade with the 49ers, <laughs> I used to like, I would like gently gingerly hand the ball like between my legs. And he'd be like, come on, Joe, snap it. I'm like, no, but I don't, I don't want to hurt your hand, Joe. But he was, he was just such a such a presence out on the field, and 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 a and just a, a calming a calming force, uh, even when things were you know when the bullets were flying. You, you mentioned Tim Grunhard, you know, such a great center for such a long time mm-hmm. for the Chiefs, and he then coached high school uh, in Kansas City for a while. He said how that really made his career that he was a he was a domer he was a notre dame guy so oh. to be able to hike to montana was really something special and you know it's interesting for the people yeah he was only in kansas city two years but he had such an impact that we'll get into and like you said not only was he the star i remember at kansas city international at the airport um there was a big mural of joe montana <laughs> of not not of any other city i mean that's how big he was uh, and, and people forget, you know, before Mahomes, th- this tells you something too. He was the last Chiefs quarterback to win a home playoff game before Mahomes. It's it's um, like it's. I mean, it's it's sad almost, right? That the poor fans had to you know suffer through, and the organization had to suffer through all that. When you really think about that stat, that's an amazing stat that you bring up, Jeff. I mean, yeah, it was it was a drought and a half from from a home playoff win perspective, and. You know, you think about Joe Montana that really Patrick handed it right to Patrick Mahomes. That was a pretty, pretty amazing stat. And we have a lot more Joe Montana stories to get to. But first, some breaking news. 
The important PSA, a pubic service announcement, is brought to you by Manscaped.com. It's a brand new trimmer, best on the market, a third generation. The Lawnmower 3.0 Manscaping Trimmer is now available for purchase. It features the leading cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Well, it's the Lawnmower 3.0 launch, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLEAV at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BLEAV. And as always, we also thank you. Uh, Joe, what, one thing that you're obviously known for is catching touchdown passes from Joe Montana. I'm sure that's something you guys practiced a lot. I, tell me about like uh, the, the, the spiral of the ball that Joe Montana threw. Obviously, he was incredibly accurate. But what was that pass like? Was it you know, like a super soft pass? And, and a little bit about those practices of having to catch uh, passes from Joe. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we we may have touched on it earlier, but just to refresh, you know, everybody's memory. I mean, it it started out as something that was, um, you know, because we never really had big tight ends, even when we were, you know, smash mouth, you know, Christian Okoye right, Barry Word left, right. We 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 Jonathan Hayes was obviously an extension of the lines, a big tight end, way ahead of his time from a size perspective, but. Other than just that, a quick we, digression that I yeah we're gonna get to this story, but Jonathan Hayes, we might do another pod just on him. How cool he's a head coach in the XFL, and another cool story: his son, great basketball player, rookie, uh, was a lottery pick for the Pelicans, and yeah. is I saw him the other day against the the Bulls. Really a good player. So, oh, uh, yeah. but they they had those big burly tight ends, like you were saying. Sorry for the, yeah, the interruption. No, I could just get no, excited no, about Jeff, Jonathan. Jeff, I, I could talk about Jonathan Hayes for hours. <laughs> he, he was such a role model for me, and such a an inspiration, and such a, a veteran leader that took young guys under uh, under their wing. I mean, you know, it's funny that the the guys that not that not that the Chiefs didn't have fifty three guys up and down the roster that everybody you know didn't love. I mean, you know, we we had such great chemistry and such great teams, but you know, you could always tell from your from your spouse, right, from your wife, or you know, people you know that were you know had girlfriends or fiancés or whatever. You could always tell from them the players. And Jonathan was always one of those guys that my wife would always say, you know. That, what a gentleman like she because he uh-huh. would always address family members and friends and he would always talk to my brothers and my dad or my mom I remember he pushed my mom around in a and my mom was in a wheelchair and you know he pushed her around the locker room one time and was introducing her to people like Jonathan literally was just one of those people he was so special and um, class act. but he was he was he was the big one and then other than that you know we didn't have big tight end so I was always like the extra tight end that would come in in what we call tank formation. And, and 90, did it in 91, did it in 92, you know, getting out on the field as a rookie and as a young player. And then, and then in 93, you know, I'm keeping the same role and, and um, you know, trying to get in the lineup. So Paul Hackett says, yeah, Joe, you're going to be our, you know, tank tight end and, and you have to report eligible. And, you know, we knew all about that. And um, I ha- they had this one play in where, you know, I was a decoy in practice and, you know, Joe Montana decided that he was going to fire the ball at me, even though I was like the eighth receiver. Like, I think, <laughs> I think his, his check down was to throw it out of bounds before he would throw it. <laughs> Cause I was really a screen. I was a screen for Keith Cash, JJ Burden, Willie Davis, you know, going, you know, going through the end zone. Jokes aside, do you think you were probably like the fifth read on that? What, what, where were you on the progression for Montana? Jeff, I literally don't think I was a progression. I really don't. <laughs> I, was, I was literally, I would go like four yards. Like I had a spot that I would go into the end zone. I would go like four yards in the end zone and they would do their crossing patterns behind me. And I would try to, you know, kind of 
without intentionally pick off a linebacker or something that was uh-huh. man coverage. And and I literally I don't think I was in the progression, but to that day I was. And Joe's decides that he's going to fire the ball at me, and he's going to make you know the big guy look foolish, right? He's going <laughs> to knock it off my helmet, you know, and he guns the ball at me, and I caught the darn thing, <laughs> and I. I look, it was like a hot potato. I like threw it, you know, on the ground. Like, what do I do with this thing? You know, do I spike <laughs> it? You know, what do I do? And, and, you know, Paul Hackett like comes running up. He goes, gee, he goes, Joe, he goes, you're going to, you're going to score a touchdown this season. And I was like, come on coach. Like what? Like this West coast offense really opens things up when, you know, when I become literally the wide receiver <laughs> and, and it was all because Joe, you know, was like, all right, let's, let's have a little fun with, you know, my Italian friend here. I think he, he was getting me back because when he, when he got there, you know, I, I got a little of the sense of humor from my dad. And when Joe got there, um, one of the things I said when you, we were introducing, getting to know each other, whatever, I said, listen, Joe, you know, because um, I went, you know, hey, listen, as, as famous as Joe was, he's also somebody who wants to be put at ease, right? He, mm-hmm. he wants to come into an organization where he feels like he can be part of the, of the gang. So I, I walked up to him one day, I said, listen, Joe, I just, I just got to let you know, bud, um, you know, I know, you know, you're coming here and, you know, you're Joe Montana. I said, but, you know, I'm the, like me and my wife, we're the, we're the real Joe and Jennifer. Like you're the other <laughs> Joe and Jennifer, you know, cause his wife was obviously Jennifer. And so we laughed and he laughed about that. And he appreciated the fact that a younger player, you know, at that time, gosh, what could I have been 20, 24, 25 years old would, would, you know, joke around with the legend just to make him feel like, you know, Hey, you're part of the gang. And, um, yeah, were, were other people a little afraid to kind of give him a hard time? Because it's Joe Montana. I know Tom Brady's talked about that a little bit with the Patriots in his latter years, that like people are a little afraid to come up to him and give him a hard time. I think so, Jeff. I really do. I think there was a certain amount of, of – of, first, I think it comes, it comes from respect. I think there was a right. lot of people who just ultimately respected the guy for what he had accomplished on the field and the way that he did it you know, through all the hard work. But, yeah, I think he did, he did sort of intimidate a lot of people – um, into feeling like th- that he could be, he was almost unrelatable and right. he would go over the top the other way. I mean, I remember one time we came out of the, when we, when we were practicing on Arrowhead um, for a walkthrough, we came out of the center tunnel, right at the 50 yard line, right? Cause there's the big tunnel that, you know, the players run out at the beginning of the game. And then there's the center tunnel that you go in for halftime. that goes directly to the locker room. And, and, you know, he's up, Joe's up in like the, the top level of the stadium and he's got a, He's got like a surgical rubber band t- tied between the um, the archway and the upper, and he's firing water balloons down. A, a, down a, <laughs> he just, you know, he he always went above and beyond to just say, all right, this is a game, and we're here, you know, we're here to ha- we have a job to do, but we're also here to be a family and have fun and to you know to 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 be you know to be kids, right? Because he made us all feel like we were kids, and and that's what I think was really special you know, about him and his relationship with the players. So back to that pass when he would throw it to you, the one that you said was felt like a hot potato. What, what were his passes like? You know, I, oh. he never had the reputation of having a real howitzer of uh, an arm, and he was certainly kind of at the last two years of his career, but was his ball placement just unbelievable? That was yeah. what he was known for, accuracy. Or Describe kind of what that uh, pass it just, like. I mean, you know, without getting, uh, you know, sounding like, like you know, um, you know, crazy. They were, they were just, they were perfect. Like they were mm-hmm. so soft and they had a perfect spiral to them. They just had a rotation that was, it was not a cutting ball that just kind of cut through your hands. It just was, it just hit your hands like, 
and it was like feathers. I mean, it was, they were, you know, I'm getting a little crazy. I'm getting a little misty here thinking about it, but, but they were, they were just, you know, he just knew, he knew his targets too. He knew who he needed to throw to hard. He knew, you know, and, but you know, along that line, Jeff, it's a great question, but he did, he do, he threw a perfect ball. The, the, the thing that Joe did, and I don't know if I mentioned this before, but like when we would run those tackle eligible plays, Joe never, he never acted like I was a lineman. Like he acted like I'd been playing tight end since I was in third grade. You know, it was like, call the play, fake 16, George, you slam on two, ready, break. We go to the line. He didn't, he never looked at me. He never, you know, looked at my hands. If I were shaking or like, he never said, Hey, you got this big guy. You're going to be all right. Like, you know, can you catch this? Are you, are you healthy? Like, you know, he never, he never made me feel like I wasn't Jerry Rice, you know, even though I had what 194 touchdowns to go to catch (laughs) Jerry Rice. He never made me feel like we were doing anything extraordinary. And, and I think that's what players around him felt that confidence and I think it's why he, it rubbed off on players. So I never really feared I was gonna, I was gonna drop the ball that he threw, especially the one on Monday night that he threw over my shoulder that I had to turn and catch, which was, you know, that was bizarre because I, you know, again I was I was the fourth checkdown on that play, and it just happened to be that you know Derek Walker ran in front of the official at that time, and everybody else fell down, and I was the only one that was open, uh, according to Joe at least, and you know. He never, like, he never made it feel like I was doing something out of the ordinary. And, and I think that's a sign of a great leader. So much preparation, so much confidence in his players that even a 300-pound lineman who, you know, very rarely touched the ball other than picking up a fumble or long snapping um, made me feel like I was doing anything special, which, which is actually a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, it was it was kind of special to be the lineman that got to do it, but he never made it. He never made me feel like it was, and and I think that's why I think I was successful in, in catching all four of them because I never, he never made me feel like I needed to panic. The Chiefs obviously had a very strong offense line during his two years um, as quarterback, yourself included in that grouping. Uh, but you know, all quarterbacks get hit and stuff. What was, when he got pressure, when he got hit, what was his reaction? Was he like, Oh, no worries. He shrugged it off. Did he scold you? What, what was his temperament like? It, it, great question, Jeff. He, it was all part of the game for Joe Montana, you know, dropped passes like, you know, getting to be in the huddle with him when somebody would drop a ball third and long, or, you know, uh, that was, you know, we needed a first down or, or a touchdown pass, or it was like, it was like it was always – I don't want to say he made it like it was his fault, but he always made you feel like, look, we're going to get another chance. You know, it's kind of like that Patrick Mahomes mentality of like, hey, guys, come on, we're down 24. Let's go. Let's just do this. You know, he never made you feel – there was never you – you're ever going to have a finger pointed at you. You know, it was, it was a team effort, and when he would get hit, he knew that was part of the game. He knew we weren't going to be perfect when it came to, you know, pressures and sacks and things like that. And, you know, it was, um, I think we put extra pressure on ourselves. I remember it's funny. There was, um, in 19, we were playing the bills and, um, Dave Zott got hurt and, uh, I had to go in and play left guard. Was this and, the Monday night game? Was this the AFC championship game? Which no, it was, it, it was, it was the, it was, do you remember when we played the bills, um, at home um, in 93. 
Or no, that was the Cowboys. No, it was the Cowboys. In, no, it was the Bills. In, in 93, we played the Bills at home and won. Was that the Monday night game? Was that different game? No, that was 92. 92. We beat the heck out of them on Monday night. That's the game I was thinking of. And then they went on to win the Super or go yeah. to the Super Bowl that year. I think that was the Norwood kick, right? That right, right, right. He missed, he missed the kick. No, this was a regular season game. And, you know, I'm going against um, Bruce Smith. And I was just like, oh, my God. And so that there's a picture – Sega Genesis did a – Joe was on the cover of the 1994 Sega Genesis football game, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the computer, you know, for the – right, right. you know, like the today's PlayStation or whatever, Xbox. And so there I was, like, just literally – you could see my face and you could see my arm just, like, pushing Bruce Smith away, giving literally everything I had because I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, please do not be the guy that lets Bruce Smith just – run over joe montana and and um you know showing my daughters one day that we were we were doing we were cleaning up some stuff and i said oh wow girls like this there's they're like oh joe montana's on the cover of the sega game and i said yeah there there i am like praying to god that bruce smith doesn't hit joe montana and you could see me extending my body like just literally selling out and that's how everybody on the field felt when he was out there it's not that you 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 give less for other people but i don't know just joe made made it feel like you needed to give just a little bit more because that's of, so you 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 were on the cover of we we should have covered this before that you were on the cover of a, a major video game that's that's awesome yeah and it was uh, i was actually in the game like i you know got to i got to be in the game with the guys you know with Zotter and and Grunny and uh you know Will Shields and John Alt and you know got to be uh got to be uh in the actual in the actual game so you know Sometimes I'd sneak myself out and, you know, put myself at tight end and make myself. (laughs) (laughs) So cool, Joe. Well, before we wrap up, just give us one, maybe a one word description or or a phrase or something. How would you describe uh, Joe Montana? How would you describe playing with him? Cool as the other side of the pillow. That's Joe Montana. Cool as the other side of the pillow, Jeff. There's a reason he was nicknamed Joe Cool, right? Uh, well, if you enjoy this show, and guys, we're going to be here all off season. We're going to have many more anecdotes like this. We not we'll probably talk about Montana again. But we're going to have guest stars on. We're going to have former players. Uh, we're going to have Chiefs writers. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun this off season. But if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com at, at Believe Podcasts. We'll be back next week, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.